This is episode 33 of One Page at a Time, How We Read with Jean and Mark Yockey. In this episode, we talk about grandparenting with books, from remembering reading habits with their own kids to the new habits they have with their grandkids. This is Jill in Virginia. And Amanda in Dubai. We are here to help you read more often. Read at home. Read at school. Read with your kids. Read with your spouse. Read aloud. Read faster. Just read. We dig through the data, gather the anecdotes, and chat with the experts who can tell you why and how you should make books a bigger part of your life. We're on this journey along with you, bringing people and reading together, one page at a time. Today's guests are near and dear to my heart, though I seem to perpetually live half a world away from them. They go by many names and titles, including PhD doctors, teachers, a nurse, an entrepreneur, and what we will be talking about with them today, grandma and grandpa. They read extensively to their own children and had an impressive library showcasing the importance of books in their family, ranging from giant books for storytime read-alongs, because why not, to nonfiction subscriptions hoarded in bedrooms, to great classics and quirky books fought over by their kids. Now that their kids have all left the nest, this duo uses many of those same books and more to read to their seven-plus grandchildren, of which my kids are included. We are thrilled to talk grandparents and books today with my parents, Mark and Jean Yaki. Welcome. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thank you. So I could talk about how amazing I know you are all day. And I could just go on and on with that intro with how wonderful it was growing up in a book-filled home. But I will let you do the talking and jump right in with our first question. So I mentioned in the intro that we had a lot of books, specifically children's books, in our house growing up. And there were several moves in my childhood from an apartment to a house. Well, that was before I was born. But then to a bigger house and then across the country to a rental duplex and then a house again. So what would you say moving that many times did to our family's book collection? I think it grew somehow along the way. I'm not sure that it ever shrank, at least as far as children's stories and books went. We did go through and get some that either were repetitive with others, but we mostly just brought the books with us. One of my favorite movies talks about how pioneers, how unusual it was for pioneers to bring books in their wagons across the plains. And I think that's how Mark felt as he would carry boxes and boxes of books. We'd have to find the right place in the storage unit while we were waiting to move into the next home. But they always made you guys as kids feel like it was just part of home and it was okay when you could go back and get your favorite books and feel like something was still pretty normal as far as all the other changes going on around you. Yeah, I do remember having one specific bookshelf that I think, Dad, you I think you made it and it ended up being the book bookshelf and we were very excited every time that got unloaded. <laughs> we did keep those boxes out sort of separate. They were usually amongst the... Ver- very first boxes we unloaded were, were your guys' books because we knew that that was important for you. Plus, it would keep you out of the way as we were carrying other things in. <laughs> yeah, they were like all new books to us. So we got to read them all over again. So then what did you do with all those books left over after the moving stop, especially the ones for younger kids as we outgrew them? Did you store them for us when we left home? What did, what did you do with all of them? Well, we did a, a number of things with them. A lot of them, we stored most everything. We very rarely got rid of children's books. A lot of them went with you guys when you got married and started having children of your own. But we've kept a pretty good supply here in the house because we want the kids and the grandkids to come visit and we want to have stories to be able to read to them. It's surprising how often you have visitors that have kids and books are a quick, easy way to give them something to do while mom and dad are talking or something. But mostly... 
all the kids that come know where the bookcase is that has books for them. And so they're very comfortable going to get something that makes them feel comfortable when they come. Yeah, I've really appreciated when we go there that you do actually have the books out on bookshelves. Do you leave them out whether or not young kids are there? Yeah, that's just where they live. Because again, you don't know when somebody's going to come with a little one and it keeps them occupied. And if they're a little hesitant because they're going to actually be staying, it's a good bridge to help them again, know that it's a good place to be because there's stories there, even if they're a little nervous because mom or dad are leaving them behind for a couple of hours. Besides, I'm too lazy to pack them all up, put them away and then get them all back out again. (laughs) Yeah, you do have quite a few. Um, How many do you think you have right now? Oh my goodness. A hundred plus maybe. I don't know. Oh, at least. <laughs> all, you, know, you have to kind of start spanning across the age group. So that always adds to how many books you have. We probably sent that many back with the kids too. So yeah. How did you do that process? How did you decide who gets what book? We didn't have to. Mostly you guys decided which ones were your favorites and there wasn't much overlap. The ones where more than one wanted it, they ended up just leaving it here because then all the kids can see it when they're here, I think. I think we did find one or two extra copies of a favorite one. And so both of you were left with one. But yeah, I think there's a monster at the end of this book is one that we all ended up purchasing (laughs) off of Amazon. That is true. I think everybody has a copy of that. I remember that when we moved to South Dakota, we had gone through the children's books and written our names on sticky notes and put them inside the books that we wanted. So we kind of claimed them. But I I really don't remember what we did with my oldest sister, Michelle, because she had already left the house. The oldest had friends in college with her who were also going into educational paths in early childhood and elementary ed. So she started collecting her own books with the help of some of her roommates and other friends that she made in college. Uh, Interesting. So did she take her books with her when she went to college? No, we pretty much kept them here until people started getting married and were a little more stable. When you're moving every year or so from apartments, that's kind of awkward. So a few favorites went, but usually it was when you were kind of a little more settled that the books would be sent with you. Yeah. And it's now that I'm an adult that I better understand kind of what parents go through trying to balance their feelings towards books, because obviously you believe in importance of of reading if, you know, you had a lot of books always in the house. So to balance that feeling of importance and also household logistics (laughs) and children, picture books are one thing since you can fit, you know, a hundred on one shelf, but then you get into chapter books and then they take up way more shelf space. How did you manage to keep books from overflowing? That's what public libraries are for. You can go and read through the entire series without it taking up much shelf space, but you all still had some of your favorites. And especially if you bought it with your own money, you got to keep it wherever. I mean, you had your space limitations. It had to fit within your room. So I don't remember having too much trouble with books spilling out, or maybe it was because you didn't want the others to touch your book. I don't know. I I just would remark, have you been back to see your own bedroom lately, Amanda? I mean... (laughs) It still has a pretty fair number of your books in there. So so I should just say I'm a little bit of of an outlier here in the family because I can't just put the books in a car and drive it 
to my home. <laughs> so we've been slowly bringing books back as our kids have grown into them. That's, that's when we bring books. But I still have my all-time favorites there on a very full bookshelf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's a bookcase, not a shelf. Yeah, it's, it's a full bookcase and overflow into some boxes and shelves in my closet. There's a lot of things that you accumulate along the way, but we never really considered books as being a, a space eater. Given their size, they're certainly smaller than most kids' toys anymore. So That's true, and way less noisy. As a side note, I know that my brother used to stay up until like 4, 6 a.m. reading with a flashlight under his covers <laughs> starting from a young age. I know that his reading style, he just has a hard time stopping his book before he's finished with it. So once he starts it, he just kind of keeps going. Do you remember what you did when he did this? Same thing we did with his older sister, just kind of ignored it and figured <laughs> we'd pay the price the next day about 6 in the evening when they were tired and cranky. Did did you ever have problems with them falling asleep at school or anything? No, I think that they for the most part stayed awake at school, but you could only get away with that for a night or two and then as a kid you just crash. It eventually it catches up with you, so. Okay, so they probably weren't as clever as they thought they were. <laughs> We've set the stage with when I was a kid, and then we all left home, as kids hopefully do. So where do you currently live in relation to your grandkids? We're moving on to the grandkids section. Are they close to you geographically? Not near close enough. <laughs> we have three sets of grandchildren. One's about four hours away by car. One is 15 hours away by car, and the other is 30 hours away by airplane. Oh, no, we're not close to Geographically speaking, we're not close to any of them, really. As we uh, like to tell our kids, we are three airplanes away from Grandma and Grandpa. I mentioned this earlier, but something that's really impressed me has been how important books and reading are to all three of us, my sister, my brother, and I. And I have absolutely no doubt that it comes from both of you and how important reading and education is to you both. And the example that you set to us as kids. So now we have our own kids and you're both spreading that example on to your grandkids by reading to them pretty much every chance you get. So first, let's focus on when you're physically in the same room as your grandkids, all or some. What do you read to your grandkids when visiting them or they you? And what do you like about reading? Or why do you read to your grandkids when visiting them or they you? Okay, well, that was about three questions. So if we go back <laughs> to the first one, we usually read whatever book they bring to us. Again, they have access to the bookshelf and they already show some preferences. So we read some of the same ones over and over, depending on who's picking the books. So it's, we don't have to choose what to read. They pretty much choose it. I think there's a lot of reasons yeah. why we like to read to our grandchildren. First off, it, it puts them physically close to you. They always want to sit on your lap or next to you. And sometimes you're reading to one, maybe who's littler. And so that's going to be a one-on-one. -on -one. But frequently we have two or three of them. Even if they're seven or eight years apart, they'll still gather around you on the couch. And I mean, it's kind of fun. It's it's a very homey, friendly feeling. And that tactile sense of having your grandchildren next to you is it's nice. It also helps them reacclimate to seeing us. It's different if you see somebody in a picture or on a computer screen versus seeing them in person where they're taller and they're bigger. And after one story, though, then it's like, OK, I'm home again and I remember this and 
life is good. So it's also a, a good way to just make them feel comfortable. I actually tried an experiment once where they were watching a show, a DVD movie on, on the television, and I got out a book and all I did was sit down in the recliner to see what they do. And as soon as they saw the book come out, that's it. They were done with the TV. And so I think, again, there's that extra interaction when you are actually reading and pausing and letting them make some of the sounds that you just don't get when you're sitting in front of a screen of any kind. Well, you kind of answered it. Uh, what do you like about it? Is there anything else that you'd want to add? Another thing as they get older is you start to see some of their personality traits. You know, the board books for the littlest, it's pretty much whatever you're pointing at or you can switch it out. And even though you have the book about trucks out, you can have them start pointing to colors. But now I've got to have some unicorn books in the house. And if they have glitter and sparkle and fly even better. So it's kind of fun to see as they get older and get interests, how that can translate over then into meeting their interests with story time too. It's a real bonding thing to be able to have your kids next to you. Yeah, it's kind of what being grandparents is all about, right? You get the really fun, close experience and then you get to hand them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, also sometimes when all the grandkids are here, it can be a little chaotic. And of course, with some of the distances we deal with jet lag with some of them. So the timing, it takes several days sometimes for the times to start to align. Reading a book is a way that you can take somebody kind of to one side and help them calm down a little bit if it's a little too noisy compared to what they want or again to get everybody to have some quiet time a story is a great way to start that they might not sleep but at least they're calmer and quieter so it's kind of an emotional evener outer as well when you get lots of kids that aren't really used to being that close for that long together not to mention it's a good rest period for me. I My knees are older. I don't run around as much as I used to. I can't keep up with them. So it's a good opportunity for me to sit down and relax and rejuvenate a little bit too. Yeah, it's a really good activity for grandparents to do with hyper young kids that run around all the time. As you were just talking about the emotional benefit of kind of taking a pause, one of your grandchildren is on the autism spectrum. Have you seen anything beneficial about reading with him? Definitely the focus once he starts kind of a series I guess or a type of book that's what he does and so to get him to switch over to a different author or a different series is quite the challenge and you almost just have to start reading it aloud even though he's a young preteen teen now all you have to do to kind of help open up his world more is to start reading aloud a different kind of a book to kind of get him hooked and help him change his focus a little bit otherwise he doesn't like change very much and he likes the same thing over and over and so books again are a good way to introduce him to other things in the world that he's a little more reluctant to open up to he's also a very good reader though and so just when you're trying to find things to talk about on the phone you can find out what he's reading and that's a book you can give him for a birthday or something but it also gives you something to ask about when you're talking to him again helping him build his social skills which is an area that he continues to work on as most of us do. It's a good point of conversation though to help him work on explaining it outside of just reading, you know, to back up and make sure he's actually comprehending as well. Well, I think that especially with younger children, you love to find books that have emotions in them, you know, characters that get frustrated or sad or things of that nature. And I think that's a great way to teach young children about emotions and kind of the beginning of emotional intelligence. And they learn to pick up on those cues 
cues, those verbal cues as you're reading them. So I think it's a really important introduction for all children, but particularly for those who might come on that that autism spectrum that struggle with that particular area of their life. There's some of the series that address all the first in life, the first time you go to the dentist, the first day of school, the first day you're staying at grandma and grandpa's house. You know, I think of Mercer Mayer and Bernstein Bears, some of those series. And to pull some of those out when something new is about to happen or remind them again that you've been through this, it's almost like bringing in a little brother or sister again when you pull out those familiar books and kind of remind them of some of those stories to help work through some of those anxieties or concerns that come up through their various phases of life and the new things they have to encounter. I noticed that especially kind of now with the pandemic, there's a lot of uncertainty and you make plans and then the plans have to change and it's okay if we go do this, but now we can't go do that. And so there's a fair amount of uncertainty and loss of structure when this week we're in school, but next week we can't be. And again, I think some of those old favorites are grounding points for them to know that there's a lot of uncertainty sometimes that we can't control, but you can always go back and revisit the magic of your friends that are in books, even if you can't see your real friends anymore as much. That can be the tagline for this episode magic of your friends and books. <laughs> it's pretty obvious that you both enjoy reading. To me, it's obvious. And hopefully that's starting to come across to everyone else as well. One of the things that we want to help with is to be able to imagine how we can read in our lives. So can you describe for us what it looks like when you're reading to more than one or two kids at the same time? There are different formats in which that occurs in today's world. So when we're visiting, you know, we'll gather them around on the couch, usually, I would say, more often than not. Yeah, we have enough now that they can't all climb on your lap anymore, <laughs> although they try. That's one way to do it. But in today's world, and particularly with you being so far away, we do some of that book reading through Skype or Zoom meetings or whatever it is, you know, electronic means, and they can gather around the, the screen and watch as grandma reads a book. And we even have the oldest grandson sometimes reading to the younger grandchildren. So there are different ways to do it, but I think they're all good experiences no matter how you do it. When you see their faces, even on the screen, they are like glued to the pages of the book. And they, it's always fun for me to see how engaged they get in the book. You know, it's almost like you hear the scary music start in the background <laughs> and they're waiting for you to turn the page, but don't want you to turn the page, but want you to turn the page and you turn the page. And, you know, it's that... <gasps> you know, moment when they see what's on the next page. And that's that works really well with the digital mediums. Have you found any really good books that you enjoy reading specifically on Zoom or uh, you've also read on Marco Polo to us? Have you found any that you really like for that? I like the ones where there are repetitive phrases or sounds so that the kids can be part of that reading, even if they can't read. So think of oh, like Go Dog Go. My favorite line in there is, do you like my hat? You know, and then they all know what the answer is until we get to the end. So chickens to the rescue, they all know the tagline that's coming. And so they can all kind of join in. So I like the ones where there's common repetitive sounds or phrases so that they're all part of it. They know when it comes, they know what to do. They all say it with the same inflection because they've done it all together. So I like when they're interactive with the reading as well. So I specifically look for books that are have just a little bit of repetition throughout, or I make my own and just stick it in there because if they can't read, they don't know I'm making up words. <laughs> yeah, the chickens and cows, and I, I think there's pigs too, to the rescue we found at your house. And we actually stole your 
your copy of Cows to the Rescue and we have it here at home because our kids love it so much. And you added do 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 in there after, you know, Cows to the Rescue, do 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 do. And it is impossible to read that book now without saying do 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 after Cows to the Rescue. It's just part of the book now. <laughs> I like a lot of different kinds of books for kids, but things with animals in it, things where you can make noises or change voices or do things so they're different characters and you can add that piece in. Kids always like that, uh, you know, if you're doing cows or dogs or something along the way. But yeah, animals are always fun. Yeah. So we kind of already touched on this. What do you do since you have grandkids ranging from ages 13 down to two? Well, the, the kind of the preschoolers, that's kind of the same kind of books. And the littler ones still like the pictures, even if they can't follow along. The older one, to involve him, that's when you let him be the one to read the story or to pick this story, although they can all pick a story but he's almost becoming except when the other kids are specifically there he's more kind of a one-on-one -on -one at this point again are you reading harry potter then let me i'll, I'll ask you some questions about that and we can talk about you know is magic real or not and you know, there's a lot of it's amazing how much kind of life perspective you can gain just by following along with books, reading the same ones that your older kids are reading so that you can discuss it with them and ask them questions about it. And what would you do if this happened to you? You know, some of those kinds of things. So he's from a real reading stance now. He's kind of a one-on-one -on -one at this point. I wouldn't say we read a whole lot to him. I mean, he's 12, 13 years old in that range. But I think it's interesting that his dad still reads to him every night as part of the, the nighttime going to bed routine. They just enjoy that time together. It's a one of those dad son experience as i guess but so he does more of the reading on his own but for all the others they're still young enough that they love to climb up on grandma and grandpa's lap and have story read yeah I i'm gonna throw in here that i remember mom reading some books right along with me as i was older like harry potter as the series came out you would read the book we only bought one copy of the book and so my older brother and i and and mom we would all be trying to read the same copy at this at the same time that sometimes got sticky but you also read i know ella enchanted with me would you recommend reading like that with your grandkids almost like a book club you, you kind of mentioned have you ever done that and would you recommend doing that yes i would recommend that and i think again with the experience and the worldview that the different ages just bring you can get different perspectives for example in Ella Enchanted there's not a description of what she looks like in the book and so it's really fun to pick up on little things like that and then say what do you think she looked like and just see where their imagination goes when somebody isn't telling them that she was slender with blue eyes and brown hair you know what it, it, it kind of opens up different things to think about so yeah maybe the book club would be a good analogy and be sure that they can choose some books too what are their friends recommend so that they have things to talk about with their friends too. I guess we're just really starting to move into that phase where that would be uh, something we can do with our grandchildren. We talked a little bit about some of our favorite books and so forth, but sometimes kids find their own favorite books that aren't, you know, the Caldecott award winners or they're not the really popular ones. And one of the ones that became really popular for our son was called Robot Bot. And it just no that was amanda that was amanda oh, that was that was both of us dan and i actually just had a conversation on whatsapp arguing who liked it more <laughs> and we can decide <laughs> but i mean it's it's certainly not one of those that most people have ever heard of but you guys just absolutely love that book we went through that all the time so it's nice to use some of the classics that people, you know, the Go Dog Goes, and well, I guess right now it's the Llama books and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's 
there's a lot of other books out there and, and kids will find their own favorites. Yeah. How do you recommend they find those favorites? That's the magic of the library, isn't it? You can go anywhere in a library and be anyone in a library. So bookstores and libraries. And I think when you actively use books, it automatically helps instill kind of a respect for books so that Aside from the little toddlers that haven't learned yet, you take good care of books. You don't leave them on the floor and you don't bend back pages to mark your place <laughs> kinds of things. But how do they find their own? Robot, bot, bot, to see the book, there is nothing fancy about it. It's kind of small. But the first time it was checked out from the library, it was just an instant hit. And it doesn't even have words in it. So we'd have it for a week, take it back to the library, wait a week, check it out the next week, have it for a week. And that went on for months back and forth because you had to check it back in. But let them go to the library and just wander around and see what appeals to them. And in a bookstore, oh my goodness, the smell of a new book when you open it up. And our son even remembers what the library smelled like in the town where we were going You know, every week to the library. I would have thought that he'd remember going to, we called it the Twinkie store on the way home, but he remembered the library, even where it was, where we used to park. And I think when you instill some of those patterns or habits, it will naturally build to a respect and a love of the books. But boy, just go to some of those places and let them wander around and see what they pull off. They won't like everything, but you never know. They might start liking the ones about dragons or gardening or astronauts. You just don't know. Or flying glitter unicorns. Or Glittery unicorns. And don't <laughs> give a unicorn a crayon, by the way. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Another way that you can start to get a feel for their books is in schools where they still have the little book sales when they had them when I was a kid. And that's kind of an equalizer across economic boundaries, I guess, between people because they're typically very, very inexpensive. And so you can, even if you order one book, you fit in with everybody else that's ordering things in it always came with a little tiny description. And so you had to sift through, is this one that I want to order or not? Because you couldn't order very many if you're on a tight budget. But that's another way that it introduces them to styles and different books that they see other people ordering. So maybe I'll try it. So that's a a way to introduce them to different authors as well. Yeah, Jill, are they still doing that? Like the Scholastic Book Fair thing? They are, yes. Yeah, my kids, I think our school does it twice a year. I mean, this year is going to be different. I'll be interested to see how they do it this year, but they do. And they even have like a family night once a week where they order pizza and you can go get pizza and look at the book as a family or look at the books as a family, which I think is super fun. Of course they do. This is just another way that I am jealous that I am not raising small children in the States right now. <laughs> I don't know what goes on in other countries, but the U.S. definitely gets some things very right with We do. We are not perfect, but we got the books yeah. and the libraries. We've, we're pretty solid on those. Oh, all three of us love reading to our children and we all have lots of books. So we all have our own extensive home libraries. What would you recommend grandparents do if their children are not very enthusiastic about reading books to their kids? I guess, how can you encourage that in your children's homes? How do you get them off the computer? Is that the question? 
Yeah, that could be a big one. So with teenage grandkids, definitely. But how would you encourage your your children to move their own kids toward books, if that makes sense? Well, I think first off, if you read to your children when they were young, they will grow up with that pattern established in their life and that they will probably, in all likelihood, follow that pattern once they are parents themselves. Now, maybe they'll get away from it. I don't know. And particularly with all the electronic media and work schedules and, you know, life is busy and it's, it's difficult. But, you know, when you guys were starting to have children of your own, we encouraged you to set up bedtime routines. And that was always a time when books got read as part of that quieting down process. But if they're not reading, then I would say take advantage of your opportunities as a grandparent to do the reading. I don't know of very many children who won't respond to that, who won't enjoy it. And if they're going to respond to it with grandma and grandpa, they'll probably almost demand it out of their own parents at some point in time. I think especially if you can capture them kind of at that ages eight to 10, where their interests are becoming more individualized. If you're sitting in a chair and you're looking at a book and you start laughing, they're going to want to come over and see. So introducing kids to poetry, for example, is something they may not like until you try a Shel Silverstein poem, something that's just quirky enough that it catches their imagination and is pretty funny, whether you're a kid it's simply enough for kids to understand as well as fun for the adults to read. So I think it's all about the exposure again. And even if they're not real book readers, when they come to your house, there's no reason when you go to grandma and grandpa's house, reading a book right after dinner while the dishes are being done or something can't just be part of that routine to help expose them to that. Maybe they're too big for bedtime stories, but you can still talk about or bring out a book and ask them, what do you think of the artwork in this book? you know, something like that. Yeah. Or you can take books to their house too, if you're the one visiting them. One other comment that came to mind about getting kids involved with reading is at some point they're going to be learning to read, whether it's in kindergarten or first grade, those elementary ages. And a great way to help kids that are younger is when they're reading their little practice books from school or their library books from school. The other kids love to sit next to them. And literally we've never had to so-called teach the younger kids to read because they learn to read right along with the oldest one. So even now we have grandchildren that aren't even in the first grade yet, and yet they're reading right along at that first grade level because they've learned along with the older sibling. So that's another pathway to help kids like books and appreciate the stories that are hidden inside when you open it up. That is very encouraging because my young, or I'm sorry, my oldest is still learning to read. And so it's been more of a struggle than I thought it would be teaching him to read just because reading has been in my life for as long as I can remember. And so I just assumed it would just be this natural, easy thing. And it hasn't been that, but I I can already see it going smoother with our second child. I think because of what you said, she just has that she has that example of her older brother who just had to be the trailblazer. And I think one of the reasons they learn faster, better, however you want to put it, the younger ones, is because the first one does tend to struggle. No matter how much you've read to them, they still have to learn the mechanics and the mnemonics of reading. So as they have to take it slow and they're just slogging along, I think that may help the younger ones because they're learning those same things at a very slowed down rate as well. That's a really good point. Thank you so very much for joining us mom and dad, Mark and Jean. Is there any any last <laughs> any last words? That sounds so final. Well, 
I just think it's important to tailor your topics as you get older. Right now, are, are we talking to our kids about where good sources of news is, for example? Do they see us still reading? I know in other countries, reading daily newspapers is more common than perhaps in the family homes here. So, I mean, books are magical and reading is, is such a gift to have as far as being able to learn and grow and, and experience things that you might never be able to experience. So anything we can do to help people of any age learn to read, I think is well worth whatever effort it takes. What she said. I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining us and for being the first grandparents to come on and, and talk specifically about your experiences kind of through the ages of your children and now grandkids growing up. We, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. This was a pretty fun and unique interview for us, right? Because other than the interview with one of my sisters, who we did that in her professional capacity, we haven't really gotten into our own families in our different interviews that we've done. Well, other than our kids, but you know, but our, that but that doesn't count. They count, but it doesn't count. They count. We don't, we haven't even brought them onto the podcast it's either. True. I don't, I don't know that that would go very, I don't know. Maybe that would be interesting. It would be anyway. interesting for sure. <laughs> but this was a fun one. For me, it was fun. I got to chat with Amanda's parents who I haven't talked to in a really long time. So I got to catch up with them a little bit. But it turns out that it was also really interesting for me to hear their perspective about raising teenagers and older kids. I wasn't I wasn't really expecting that part of the interview, but we got to hear about their perspective about grandparents and, and it got me thinking about my own parents and their relationship with my kids and how reading plays into it. But I loved the parts about their experience raising older kids and teenagers because I'm always looking and thinking forward to that next phase of my parenting. And if I'm honest, um, I'm always a little bit nervous about it and what it's going to be like and how good I'm going to be at being a parent of older kids. So every bit of insider knowledge I get is precious to me. So that was really good for me. And But like Amanda's family, none of me or my sisters live really close to my parents. There's one sister who's about an hour away, but she doesn't have any kids yet. So a lot of what your parents, Amanda, talked about and shared about their grandkids really resonated with me because our family's in a very similar situation. My parents do not get a lot of in-person bonding time with my kids or any of my sister's kids. So they really have to make what time they get really count. And reading to them and with them is one way that they really maximize that time. Yeah. And I also think that right now we have a lot of very interesting situations around the world where grandparents aren't able to communicate with their grandkids as much as they may be used to doing. So a lot of visiting you know, holidays, lots of things have been postponed or canceled, or I, I think that this is a timely episode, whether or not you live really close to your grandparents or, well, your parents or <laughs> in-laws, or whether, you know, you live far away because there's not a lot of socializing going on right now, especially with grandparents. So I think that it's, it's really good. I agree. So sadly, I have a pretty terrible memory, which means a lot of my memories with my parents really are from when I was a teenager or adult. I don't remember a lot about when I was a little kid. And so seeing my parents with my kids and what they do with my kids has been showing me what it must have been like 
when they were raising us. And I logically know that reading was a huge part of my childhood, but I love seeing it in action and having actual memories of them reading with these little kids. And it brings back memories sometimes that I thought were gone forever. And it gives me and my sisters a fabulous chance to reminisce. So speaking of reminiscing, to prepare for this interview, our family started talking to each other about books. And I'm pretty sure this is a conversation we actually haven't ever had together before. At least I don't remember it. And we usually talk about, you know, our current lives, family vacations, memorable events, and those are all fun. But this was so great to learn more about each other. It's a whole different side of my siblings, especially like my sister staying up late to read books and my brother and I both remembering the smell of the library. We also both completely forgot about the Twinkie store, which is interesting to note, parents, that we remembered the library and the smell of the library <laughs> more than the treats that we got afterwards. But my sister is seven years older than I am. So this is just a fun way for us to connect with each other more. And she's the book aunt in the family. So I guess I in an abstract way, knew that she likes books. I mean, this this is just a great way to also talk about our parents in a way we never had before, laughing at and loving my dad's sound effects, which he isn't kidding when he says animals can be fun. <laughs> my mom's storytelling knack that I tell myself I have picked up from her, hopefully, maybe cross my fingers. It's just a great way to bond as adults to talk about this fun, previously unmentioned topic. And I see lots of future conversations, and I really want to know what my siblings read as kids that kept them up all night, since the only thing that ever kept me awake that early in the morning was homework or work. <laughs> that is so interesting to me, because I was definitely in camp, hide under the covers with a flashlight, reading novels way too late, all while growing up. And I even do it today. I stay up way too late reading. But it really honestly never occurred to me that some of my sisters might not have done that until I was listening to you chat with your parents about it, Amanda. And I I realized that your, your siblings did that, but you never did. And so now I'm sitting here wondering, do my sisters do? Did they do that growing up? i I don't, like I said, I have a terrible memory. And so I don't remember specific details like that. And so I think I need to go start a conversation in my family WhatsApp group and ask them about it because I want to know. And revisiting all of these warm, fuzzy memories has also had the same effect as your mom was saying about revisiting old friends during these kind of tumultuous, fast changing times, like, you know, what we're going through right now. And I think so she was talking about books and, and how familiar and favorite books can be that comforting constant in their lives right now. And I think like our kids, we as the parents and adults might need some constancy and reassurance right now too. I love rereading books, but I know that not everybody does. It might be worth trying to revisit a couple of your old favorites if you feel like you need something to ground you or if you need something familiar and comforting right now. Try rereading a book you read and loved as a kid or as a young adult and see how it makes you feel right now. I love that idea because I am not a huge, I am not a huge um, rereader and mostly because I until very recently have not been a reader in this phase of my life. But I really this year have been reading, well, I'm reading a lot of a lot of books. I'm trying to hit 200. So there are quite a lot of books, but some of them have been books that I've been rereading, like Ella Enchanted, which is one of yours and my all-time favorites. And my mom even, I know that she considers it one of her favorites as well. So, I mean, if you haven't read that book and you're still listening to this podcast, you should probably 
just read it. <laughs> but it's time. I mean, do it. it. It's yeah, it's so comforting to read some of these just easy books that are just fun and light and great. And yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And speaking of old favorites, my mom mentions two book series in, well, she mentions quite a few books, but she mentions two book series that are currently under scrutiny, The Berenstain Bears and Mercer Meyer. And in our interview with Dr. Sarah Coyne about superhero and princess books, we talk extensively about using books as talking points about things you disagree with, like what you may wish to do with books that are very good at getting a different message across. So my mom talking here about Bernstein Bears going to the dentist or whichever of the many books you choose is a great idea to me, despite what you may think about some of the points in these kind of outdated books. These are a series that have a ton of books covering a very wide range of topics and situations in great ways, and they can add consistency to help comfort an uneasy child. So if there are any issues that you have with a particular book, I wouldn't discount the entire series for sure, and perhaps not even that singular book itself. As a parent, you can talk to your kids about a book if grandma or grandpa or anyone else exposes them to a book you don't like. I haven't run into that personally, but I have also told my parents we don't read the original Pinkalicious book in our house and why I've decided to do that. So they know that that is one that's off limits and maybe they'll forget at some point. But even if they do, I feel like it's an easy fix with just a conversation with your kids and maybe the grandparents if that's also necessary. So you can always have a talk about feminism or a modern society in another read through, but the book may have a great way of conveying a different message. It's up to you, obviously, but I'm also not going to ignore the fact that all three of us in our family grew up on Berenstain Bears and Mercer Mayer and we're all, you know, open-minded adults. <laughs> As did we. Berenstain Bears, staple in my household. I would like to think that we are pretty well-adjusted adults in modern society. Yeah. And, you know, our society is made up of the Berenstain Bears Readers. generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, which, I, I don't know, maybe that's saying one way or the other. <laughs> we we won't get too political about this, but... Maybe let's not analyze that so closely. But <laughs> what you said still stands. Yeah. There are ways to use them and go about it. Yeah, and there are some of the books that I have read. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular that I wouldn't, you know, purchase or have in our home. But I also would be okay if my parents who feel very comfortable with that series were to read that particular book to my children and I would just have a conversation about whatever I don't like about it. <laughs> it would be fine, you know. <laughs> anyway, there were so many gold nuggets in this interview that really show why you, Jill, and I, Amanda, think so highly of reading. And I wanted to structure this interview to show a timeline and a pattern that has developed because of the book culture my parents created in their home. They talked about connecting, bonding with children physically and emotionally and mentally to stay involved in their kids' lives wherever they are, which makes me think of your family book club, Jill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of wisdom that I pull from this discussion, mainly coming from the experience they had as parents who felt books were important enough to keep around through moving, my dad being more on the minimalist side of the scale, and then how they are using books to help their grandkids develop the same attributes they did with us. So the world is a very different place now than when I was the one sitting on their laps. But I feel like the benefits of reading and books are still very much the same cognitively, emotionally, physically, and mentally. Even if your children don't have the best book habits in their own family's homes, 
you as a grandparent still can develop a bookish relationship with your grandchildren that will benefit them for their entire lives. And you can also help contribute to the book collections in their homes as well. So if they're not very many books in their homes, you can be the book grandparent that gives Christmas gifts or birthday gifts or whatever that you always give a back to school gift of a book or, or something like that. You can be that influence in their lives if your children have decided not to go that route. Or additionally, even if they do have that, if reading is really important to you, then that's something that you can develop a bond with and I mean, if gardening is important to you, then you garden with your grandkids. You know, if reading is important to you, let them see you read and give them books and it's great. (laughs) And I think it's a way to connect and link generations too. If you know that your kids are already on the reading train and reading to their kids and your grandkids are still getting plenty of it at home. Like Amanda said, there's nothing to stop you. And my parents give all the grandkids books for their birthday. That's their birthday present are are different books. And, And so my kids know that that's something that links us together as a family. They get it from me, but they also get it from their grandparents. And as the parent of these grandkids that my parents are trying to have a relationship, I love it when I see my parents initiating that bond with them and that and the ways that they choose to do that. But when it comes from them, it just makes me feel so good. And my parents moved back home this past July after they had been living in a different country for the past three years. So we had a very long anticipated and emotional visit with them this summer. And I always struggle when it's time to leave them after I, I go home for a visit. So I'm, I'm never at my best on the day that I leave. And, and this time I was the last of my five sisters who were there at my parents' house. We had been all together as family and then everybody went home. I was last one left and my emotions kept getting more and more wound up and my kids were going more and more crazy because everything they could play with had already been cleaned up and inaccessible. And so I was busy getting suitcases ready and and carry-ons and snacks and whatever I needed. And at one point, I remember coming out of one of the rooms with a couple suitcases and I found my mom and she had grabbed all three kids and she was just reading her way through this pile of books she grabbed from the closet. And she was just set to do that until I was ready to go. And I hadn't asked her to help. She just knew that I needed it. And she also knew that reading to them was going to be the quickest and most effective way to help in that situation. And so I love that moment for so many reasons. And it's a now a memory and I took a picture of it because of my horrible memory. So years from now, I can go back to the picture and I can remember that moment when my mom took it on herself to do something with my kids and and to help them in this emotionally unstable time. They were sad leaving their cousins and leaving their grandparents. Trips are always stressful. And so she put herself in that moment. And I think that it will make an impression on them, but it definitely made an impression on me. As grandparents, I think just you have so much, so many chances to make an impression on your kids and your grandkids. And I've loved chatting about that today. I've loved talking about family. Amanda, you and I are both extremely lucky to have great families, and we know that isn't always the case, but if there are any grandparents out there who are looking for ways to have a bond with your grandkids, hopefully this has helped you to give you some ideas. And and additionally, if any of you listening who aren't grandparents, if you know of a grandparent who might benefit from this episode, please, please go ahead and share it with them. Email them the link. Sit down and listen to it with them. However it was going to work best with those grandparents, please share it with them and and help them get some ideas as well. We're so grateful to all of you for joining us today, and we look forward to being back with you in a couple weeks. We'll talk to you soon. 